Hey there, brothers and sisters. Thanks for listening to the Mormon News Roundup. And if you are enjoying this show, please consider making a donation. Patreon makes an important contribution to helping us ruminate on the great and spacious beehive here. So thanks so much to everyone for for supporting us on Patreon.com. Ladies and gentlemen, kicking off the first stop on his world tour, our new president and prophet, Russell M. Nelson! You say you want some revelation, well here you go. It's gonna blow your freaking mind. Greetings brothers and sisters, welcome to the weekly Mormon News Roundup where Landon and Al and we've got D-Bays this week are going to ruminate on the great and spacious beehive. This week is uh, February 5th, 2023, episode 45 coming at you. We've got Landon Brophy co-hosting, glad to have him with us. Also, in the news this week, we've got alleged $500 million Mormon Ponzi scheme that went down. We're going to learn about that one. The BYU employees finally get their birth control. The church news uh, has some For the Strength of Youth miracles. President Nelson versus Moses. We're going to look into the uh, compare and contrast there. Also, big news this week, young boy, never broke rapper, converting to Mormonism, and much, much more. Thank you for joining us, both of you. Hey, it's great to be here, Landon. Welcome to the Mormon News Roundup. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, thanks so much. Now, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, we're at mormonnewsroundup.org. You can send us an email to colob at mormonnewsroundup.org. Now, we've also linked to the Good Book Club in our show notes, which, uh, Landon, you're a part of. What's going on with the Good Book Club? Uh, Yeah, uh, we've actually uh, been doing a lot with the Good Book Club. Uh, That's a a book club that we started about two and a half years ago. Uh, Myself and one of your other co-hosts, Rebecca Biblioteca, uh, we started that uh, several years ago, and we've got a lot of great things going on over there. Uh, just recently, we, in addition to just books, we also do uh, additional things for our group to try to build community. Just recently, we had a, an episode on how to get a tattoo, uh, since a lot of Mormons don't know how to do that. Uh, uh, it was really a fun episode, and, and the gal came and showed us how to do that and things to look for. Uh, we've got next week, we've got book, uh, book club where we discuss a book, uh, the, uh, the body keeps the scores, the book we're doing this month. And we've also got a couple other things coming up. Uh, the biggest one of which is, uh, uh, we we're sponsoring along with Mormonish podcast, which is another uh, thing that myself and Rebecca Biblioteca are doing. Uh, we're sponsoring a movie premiere in Utah. It's, uh, the return of elder Pingree memoir of a departed Mormon. And anyone who hasn't seen this, it's a great film. It was, it's by an Emmy award-winning director who uh, served a mission in Guatemala. And now he is uh, out of the church and he went back uh, years later and met the people that he was uh, serving on his mission and kind of told them about him being out of the church and, and how that's affected his life and those relationships. It's a really, really good movie uh, that uh, we're sponsoring. It's at Bruby's Pub and Grill in Salt Lake City. It's on uh, the 13th of February at 7 p.m., and there'll be a Q&A with uh, Jeff Pingree. He's going to be there for the premiere, and it should be a great time. It's absolutely free of charge, uh, but you do have to be 21 and over. There is food and beverages available uh, while we watch the movie. So we've got a lot of things uh, going on. Uh, also, we've got uh, Randy Bell coming to speak to us. Uh, a lot of people in the Mormon world may know Ma- Randy Bell, but he just released a new book, and he's going to come and speak to the Good Book Club about that. So we've got a lot going on there. That I'm sounds glad absolutely- to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask you about the Mormonish podcast, uh, but, but you summed it right up. So, yeah, it sounds like you got some really good things coming down the pipe there. 
Yeah, how to get a tattoo. I noticed that you covered that once the in the last general conference, the For Strength of Youth pamphlet was updated and it removed the prohibition against piercing and tattoos. So I assume you're going to talk about how to get a piercing next. It, it, it may be on the list, but it, it's amazing. We, we actually looked at the numbers and they said since they've made that small change that the number of uh, women that they're seeing at the tattoo uh, parlors has gone up substantially here in Utah uh, because the women want those tattoos. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess it's not terribly surprising. Now, uh, well, we did a collaboration with the Mormonish podcast back in December where we covered the top 10 LDS-related uh, movies, uh, excuse me, the LDS-related news articles for the year. What was the reaction to that, Landon? Well, it was actually one of our higher-rated uh, uh, episodes that we've done. Of course, we're, we're fairly new. We're only at like episode 15 or so, but uh, it was a lot of fun. A lot of people listened in, and it w we had a good time doing it. Uh, it was really fun to interact with you guys and to get to do that with Rebecca and, and just look at all of the top stories from last year. It was a, a lot of fun. Yeah, it sounds good. So, um, yeah, we're looking forward to having Rebecca back on here in a couple of weeks. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to share with us, uh, Landon, before we dive into the news? Uh, the, the only thing I guess I would say is that uh, both, uh, both the things that I'm working on, Mormonish Podcast and the Good Book Club, are both set up to, to help build community uh, in, in the post-Mormon world. So anyone who's interested, uh, I think they're going to put links on the show notes for that. Anyone who's interested in finding a community post-Mormon, uh, we try to be positive with with our relationship with uh, people that are in and out. We're trying to make a positive change for people. And so hopefully people tune in and, and participate or, or listen in on the things that we're doing. That sounds absolutely fantastic. Now, for our listeners out there, if you want to get in touch with us, you can send us a voicemail. If you come on over to Anchor, you can record a voicemail, which we can play on our next podcast. We're also on Twitter. We're at, at @newsmormon, and you can interact with us there. Now, before we jump into the news, Landon, I understand you have the Mormon News Roundup Joke of the Week. I do, I do, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna tie this in with the weather. This being a news show and all, uh, uh, but here in Utah we've had a lot of really cold weather. Uh, in fact, uh, Peter Sinks, Utah, was the coldest place in the nation at minus 65 degrees the other day. Uh, so bitter cold, uh, but that's caused a few problems. I don't know if you heard, but four BYU coeds froze to death at the drive-in movie uh, when they went to see Close for the Winter. <laughs> <laughs> Like oh that. no! I, I had to pick a BYU co-ed joke. That's where Rebecca oh. went. So, uh. <laughs> oh man! Well done. Oh boy, we're we're you know I can I can tell that our ratings on Apple are going to be dropping significantly based <laughs> off of that joke. We're going to go from like a two point three rating to like a one point five. But no, no, that's. Well, that's I apologize for that. <laughs> Uh, let's do a little bit of a follow-up. We've got um, some updates here with the AP sex abuse uh, scandal that's been going on. Uh, this has been kind of in the news since last summer, and uh, we've just been you know, keeping our finger on the pulse of it to see what's, what's happening and where it's going. Uh, so the Arizona Supreme Court um, has asked, has been asked, I should say, to decide if the LDS Church must reveal what bishops knew about Paul Adams' confession. Um, the, the last thing, I think it was uh, the district court, uh, uh, said that this was uh, the priest penitent privilege uh, was no longer applicable because uh, Adams had posted the pornography of his kids online uh, after the confession. So the, the judge's ruling was that the uh, priest penitent privilege was waived uh, at that point. But the LDS Church is saying no; it uh, it's still in effect, and so they're asking. They've appealed the Arizona Supreme Court to make a final decision on that. Um, and I mean, it it really could go either way. 
uh, but the LDS church is fighting really hard to uh, keep themselves off of the, and anybody that's in church leadership off the stand, the board clerk, the bishopric, uh, anyone. Uh, it, it's kind of a mess. Yeah. yeah, it makes me really wonder, why are we trying, why is the church trying to hold on to the priest penitent privilege so much in this case, since it's well known, it's posted on the internet, it's not like there's, it's not like we're protecting something that's confidential. Everyone no. knows what happened, it was posted to the entire world. So if you're going to take a case to say, hey, we need to maintain the priest penitent privilege, this seems like the worst case in the world to try to fight this one, since every, it was posted, there's been tens of thousands of views on the so-called dark web over this, there's nothing yeah. to hide, we know exactly what took place in this particular situation, since he he abused both of his daughters. He posted both of the videos. Why is the church lining up on the side of uh, Paul Adams, who committed suicide, instead of lining up on the side of these young girls who are victims? What are your thoughts on this case, Landon? This case is one of those that is is just absolutely the worst case you could have picked. Uh, you've got child abuse. You've got child rape. You've got it posted on the Internet. You've got a guy committing suicide. It's an absolute horrible case and why the church wants to in any way stand behind trying to protect this story over protecting the, the innocent youth is is beyond me. It, it just does not seem like a, a good case for this. I understand priest, you know, the, the having to be able to keep the confidence of people. But in this case, the man posted on the Internet what he was doing. And the court is just trying to find out what did the church know and when uh, as part of the case, since that's, that's what it's about. The case is about should the church have done something and how's the court supposed to know if they don't know what the, what the church knew and when. Yeah, what we're running into on this one, I think, is that the church is trying to avoid precedence uh, by by jumping on this one. I think this is why it's such a heated battle and the one that the church has picked, uh, because if if the church is um, compelled to testify in this case and waive the priest penitent privilege on this one, then it sets a precedence that can be referred to in the future. And uh, there are tons of cases. In fact, um, there is a, an excellent tweet on here uh, that's linked in, in the show notes. This is from uh, uh, Donna Kelly, a Utah attorney. It's a quote from her on Mormon Speak. Over the 32 years and about 3,000 victims that I've worked with, it was not unusual to see bishops speak for perpetrators or write letters of support. But I have never once seen a victim be spoken for by their bishop or church leader. Uh, that's really something. Yeah, yeah, that appears that appears to be what is happening in this case as well. The church seems to be lined up on the side of um, Mr. and Mrs. Adams. Mrs. Adams also went to jail because she um, and yeah. basically enabled the abuse by not. She knew what was going on. She didn't report it. So the church has made a very strange or really kind of disgusting bedfellows with the very sick perpetrators involved with this case. And, yeah. and you know, you know, last year, the Cochise County Superior Court rejected the church's argument that it was not obliged to disclose the abuse. The church has appealed that now to the Supreme Court. The last judge who was involved with this was uh, Judge Cardinal. And she says that the actions of Mr. Adams effectively waived his priest penitent privilege. Therefore, the church is obliged to um, the church is obliged to report these things. If it comes to the bishop and you've posted it to the internet, you don't have priest penitent privilege. Therefore, you're required to um, you're required. There's no there's no uh, you know obligation of privacy at that point. So it's you know also just one last thing. A couple of months ago, the um, the lawyers for the side of the two girls they signaled that they were willing to uh, possibly take this to mediation, but it doesn't look like that's what's um, it, it doesn't look like that's what's happening. Uh, it doesn't seem like the church really wants to settle this one for some reason. Yeah, it's it's strange that the church has really picked this as the hill that they're going to die on, and the more that this uh, mounts up and gets uh, piled higher and higher, uh, the more it seems like we've got the church that's openly coming out on the wrong side of this. 
No, I, I just absolutely agree. They, this just is not a good, a good show for the church. And I don't know why they're, they're willing to die on this hill unless maybe there's something that they knew that they don't want everyone else to find out. It just seems a little uh, too, too, too much that something happened there that they don't want people to know that they're fighting this hard against it. Well, it seems like from uh, Paul Resendez reporting of like 13,000 documents, it seems like we know almost everything now. So it's hard to know what we don't know. But um, this is a, a bad case. Um, we'll be following it here on the Mormon News Roundup. Now, our next article here is BYU employees finally getting birth control. So starting in this February, starting this month, birth control will finally be covered under the health insurance for employees of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints at BYU. This is a decision that many are celebrating as both a grassroots victory and one that brings the financial policy more in line with the faith's teachings on family planning. Uh, Landon, is this better late than never? It's funny that you say that. I think that may have been the birth control policy for a lot of the BYU uh, faculty when the wife comes in and says, honey, I think I'm pregnant. Uh, I'm late. And he says, oh, well, better late than never. Keep trying. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, definitely better, better late than never to, to not have this uh, kind of protection in a workplace where you can go and get birth control and pl family planning. That's got to be really detrimental to the workplace. I, I know I was talking to Rebecca yesterday who works who worked for uh, BYU. She was uh, on the faculty there for years and she was telling me that when she got uh, uh, when, when she had her children, there was no maternity leave. Uh, there was there was no birth control. There was nothing to uh, there wasn't even a place to uh, breastfeed when you when you or pump the milk when you had your children. And she said there was no accommodations for having children at BYU. Uh, back when she was there. And now here you are uh, finally getting those things where you can do some family planning and, and plan around your career. So I think this is much past due. Yeah, Al, uh, BYU administrators are calling it a no-brainer that will strengthen families. But Al, the 1950s are, are calling and they want their insurance policy back. <laughs> of course they are. Um, I think the the, the big problem um, with uh, not, a com not not making accommodations for their female faculty like this uh, comes from uh, drawing heavily from the example of the brethren, and they've never once seen the brethren need to take uh, maternity leave. They've never once seen need to breastfeed or pump. So uh, obviously that's just not something that they've needed in the past. And now they've uh, started to realize that, wait a second, uh, there might be a difference between men and women. So... Yeah. <laughs> Landon, Landon, you pointed this out that the policy with the surgical sterilization, though, what's going on with that? Is there there's what's going on with the surgical sterilization? Yeah. So although they're calling this uh, birth control, they they uh, have in there that the surgical sterilization will stay uncovered except under certain conditions, which uh -huh. is that the mother is over 40 years is 40 years or older and has already had five pregnancies or five live births. So you, you still you're still kind of required to pump out your required number of kids before they'll allow surgical sterilization, uh, which is down from ten, but uh, you're still at the, at the five. So that seems seems difficult there. <laughs> it's just it's just amazing because prior to this, women who were at, you know I I, uh, I worked uh, at BYU for quite a long time by the way, just for your information, I was a part time mm -hmm. faculty there for many years. And, and prior to this, women because the birth control wasn't covered, they were having to go to Planned Parenthood to get a routine mm -hmm. birth control. Oh. Mm -hmm. <laughs>
Uh, yeah, I mean, because it's not covered, but uh, you can get it at Planned Parenthood. So, you know, this this was really a grassroots effort that was led kind of like uh, by the DMBA stories. DMBA is basically the church's uh, medical provider, a Deseret Mutual Benefit Association or administration, I forget which one. And somebody set up an account on Instagram that shared all the DMBA stories of women who are really having a lot of difficulties with a lack of birth control. And that seems to have led to this uh, particular change which, you know, if you think back to uh, Brother Corbett's talk uh, a couple of months ago where he said that there is no such thing as righteous activism against the church. He called it ATC, activism against the church. Well, it sure seems like this particular Instagram story and the grassroots level led to a meaningful change. Yeah, I think it did. And, uh, you know, we talked uh, a little bit about uh, yesterday as we were planning for this, that uh, the 2017 is when they finally gave maternity leave out. So that's just been recent uh, that they've had that in there. Uh, I I still have to wonder a little bit about is this a result of so many women going on on leave having the ten kids that Mormon families have that the, they're going wow we maybe shouldn't have ten kids that's a lot of money going out to pay for maternity leave maybe we should let them plan this a little bit better and and maybe the the women employees can be at work uh, more often if if we offer this to them so it could be a little of both I think it's good to see this as a step forward. Yeah, it sure is. It's certainly a, a breathe a sigh of relief for a lot of people. You know, one thing about the surgical sterilization, one last thought, is that the church's handbook says that surgical sterilization is not recommended and is highly discouraged. So this policy of BYU is kind of getting in line with the church's handbook, which the church's handbook is really, it, it, in some ways, it's more important than the standard works. You know, I'll just put it that way. <laughs> but this isn't the only um, article this week out of BYU. Landon, you found another article about BYU this week. Yeah, uh, the B. Uh, the BYU is is currently uh, the faculty is being encouraged to align their scholarship with gospel teachings, and it turns out that they're rewarding uh, the the professors or the faculty whose research supports the gospel message of the church itself. Uh, that you know, in in a in a public company, that that wouldn't seem like that big of a deal. Obviously, you want your researchers supporting your mission. However, in, in scholarship, that's a, a whole different thing. You don't want to have already have the uh, conclusion before you do the research and you're, you're prompted to do research that comes to a certain conclusion. And in the world of academia, that's, that's a kind of a big no-no. Uh, how can BYU produce unbiased peer-reviewed things if, if the outcome has to be a certain outcome in order for you to get promoted or for you to get uh, ahead in, in your job? So I don't know what your thoughts on that. Well, exactly. My wife was a linguistics major, for instance. She has a linguistics degree. She also has a master's degree. But if if her her if her scholarly paper, if she was doing scholarly work, and the outcome of that had to be to I don't know verify a literal Tower of Babel where the languages were split. We all had a common Adamic language, say six thousand years ago. If you read the Book of Mormon, you know even less than that, say four thousand years ago. If that has to be the conclusion that you get to when you start your scholarship in linguistics, that really poisons the well. That's not how scholarship works. Um, yeah, it's just like you said, Landon. Al, what are your thoughts on this? I think uh, it's a, a big problem when you have to shoehorn somehow the church being true or the uh, the church's teachings into your academia. Because like you said, especially when it comes to history or, um, uh, you know, science, mathematics, I mean, shoot, uh, just about any field of study and research, uh, having to, you know, start off with the conclusion that, well, the, the church... Uh, reign supreme, uh, and somehow you've got to make the rest of your research come to that same conclusion too, uh, you're just not going to find good research when you start off with the 
with a predetermined conclusion, even if it's something as simple as that. Uh, yeah, just like uh, Landon, you talked about this yesterday. Any findings that a professor has that contradicts gospel teachings, those are less likely to be posted because you don't want to be punished. You don't want to be passed over for promotion. You don't want to miss your tenure. Let's say you're coming up for tenure, which is typically at six years. Well, if you're posting some something that says, I don't know that there's that the, the idea of a, a global flood is, is pseudoscience. Well, maybe you're not going to post that because you're, you're going to wait until after you get tenure. And by the way, even after you get tenure, if you're posting something that doesn't conform to um, you know, Neolithic Stone Age myths, then you're not going to become the department head. You're not going to become the dean. It really puts a real huge wet blanket on the entire university. Yeah, that's exactly right. It bas basically makes BYU become the Liberty University of the West. Uh, it, it just limits your, your standing in the academic world that, oh, things coming out of BYU can't be trusted because they're, they're biased. So yeah, it's definitely a, uh, uh, a potential problem for all the staff and should be a concern for BYU students that the research that they might be participating in uh, isn't isn't uh, to the level of academic uh, research that, that's expected. So I got to say, if the gospel is true, why are we afraid of what the outcomes of the research is? Uh, it should it should align in any case, truth is truth. So. It's not It's not just the research findings that are going to be poisoned. You're not even going to go down certain levels of inquiry because you know that the end result of that inquiry is not going to be in conformity with the church teachings. You're not going to go say Egyptology. You're not going to go down certain paths there because it could reflect poorly on Joseph Smith's translation of the book of Abraham. So entire uh, fields of inquiry are not even going to be examined because the professors know what the outcomes of those are, are going to be and they're not going to line up with church standards. Uh, any last thoughts on this, Al? I think that the, the more that the church draws this hard line and insists on this way of uh, thinking, I, I think that BYU's name or BYU's days of accreditation are numbered and getting fewer and fewer because you, you just you can't maintain. I mean, let's say, for example, that you have somebody studying South America history, um, you know, Mayan and uh, Incan culture, and they're trying to really draw the conclusion that the Mayans were the ancient ancestors of the or that the. The Mayans are the modern uh, descendants of the uh, the Book of Mormon Nephites and Lamanites, and so they're going to get some really bad uh, some really bad information and documents and papers, books, uh, things out there that could end up being referenced uh, in future studies as well. And so then you got a whole bunch of you don't have a lot of uh, people that are, there's not a uh, consensus and agreement anymore. Instead, you start to have division, and that's not what uh, accreditation boards want. They want people to be um, aligned with each other and coming to the same conclusions that to, within you know, mathematics, as, as often as we study it, uh, two plus two needs to come out to equal four. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the church formed the New World Archaeological Foundation uh, in coordination with BYU, I think it was back in the yeah. 60s, which ran for 25 years, whose, whose stated purpose was to find the archaeology that would support the Book of Mormon. And um, they started with an end in mind, which was to promote faith. Well, that foundation ended up folding after 25 years because, of course, they could not find any Book of Mormon archaeology, period. And yeah. the, the head of it uh, uh, ended up, uh, Thomas, uh, Thomas Ferguson, ended up losing his faith and ended up basically uh, becoming a doubter. If you start with an end in mind, that's that's just really really shoddy scholarship. That's not how that's not how we we're that's not how science works. I mean, it's just it's really really bad. You know, having been somewhat of a former academic myself, this is just this is not the road that we want to go down.
Okay, our next article here is uh, an alleged $500 million Mormon Ponzi scheme was revealed. And this was uh, published in uh, the uh, Washington Post here uh, just a couple of days ago. This was uh, the Washington Post uh, coordinated with the Las Vegas investigative reporter Jeff Germain, who was part of the Vegas uh, Journal Review. And they completed an investigation um, that that started with Jeff German. So here, here's what happened here, folks. This was kind of a confusing article. It took me a while to really realize what happened. So the SEC is complaint is claiming that Matthew Beasley, who's not a Mormon, and his business partner, Jeffrey Judd, who is a Mormon, operated a Ponzi scheme that preyed on Mormons, mostly in Las Vegas. We're talking about about 900 people here. So here's the idea of what happened. The idea was that the investigators would invest their money with Beasley and Judd. The two of them claimed that they would then give the money to personal injury plaintiffs to help fund litigation. When the personal injury plaintiff eventually would win the suit, then the investment fund would give a percentage back to the investors. That's the idea. The only problem was is that the money with Beasley and Judd, it never went to the lawyers and there was no um, there was no litigation. It just went straight into their pocket. So eventually it was brought to light by this incredible reporter, Jeff German. And um, he, un unfortunately, he ended up getting killed during this uh, process of investigation. This is really a grisly task. And so the FBI then got involved and um, Beasley, who was uh, one of the subjects of the probe, he, he came, they, they, they raided his house. He stepped out onto the doorway. He held a loaded pistol to his head. The FBI agents asked him to drop the gun. And then um, the FBI said that he pointed the gun towards them and opened fire and they struck him in the chest. He's still alive. But unfortunately, Jeff German, he is dead. And this is just really, really sad and just a really gigantic, horrible mess. Landon, what are your thoughts on this article? This sounds a lot like the Mark Hoffman case, uh, you know, take away the, the, the historical documents, but uh, they're trying to cover something. Uh, somebody gets killed who's getting close and closing in on them and then ends up uh, getting shot himself or destroying himself as part of this. Just a very sad, sad story. This follows a similar pattern is also with uh, the Under the Banner of Heaven story of uh, the Lafferty brothers, uh, where you have uh, the uh, police officer. Well, of course, that's a fictitious one, but yeah, the <laughs> police uh, trying to track down the Lafferty brothers to figure out what happened to Brenda and uh, and uh, violently, but uh, similar situation. Uh, so it, it's interesting how much history rhymes in in these uh, LDS crimes. Yeah, you know the thing about it is though is that personal injury, basically capital venture, uh, you basically have like capital venture for these personal injury cases. That really is a thing. There's an entire market for it. It's totally legitimate. You pay lawyers, they sue, they sue a company or a group of people. They get in class action, and when they get a big judgment, you get a lot of your money. You get more than you you put in back. This is a legitimate business mm -hmm. practice. That's yeah. how a lot of people would get sucked up into this thing. And they were mm -hmm. promising extremely high rates of return. People got some returns, but unfortunately, it was a house of cards, and it was really mm -hmm. disgusting how it all imploded with people dying, people getting shot as they got closer and closer. Really a horrible tragedy. Uh, Landon, any last thoughts on this one? Yeah, it seems like Mormons uh, play into these Ponzi schemes pretty easily. And I don't know if that's, you know, maybe the tithing issue where you uh, you pay in for a hope of a reward in the end that, uh, you know, <laughs> you never mm -hmm. see. Uh, so I don't know. I, I always figure if, if Mormons would fall for more Fonzie schemes than Ponzi schemes, they'd see a lot more happy days. Yeah, oh, well said, Landon. <laughs> A horrible joke. Only those over about 45 will get that. <laughs> well, we got oh, it. boy. Okay. Yeah. Landon, you're 0 for 2 on the jokes. I just want to make sure that. <laughs> I don't know. I thought that one was pretty good. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Hey, uh, Landon, though, you do have uh, the next article here, which is on changes to seminary requirements. What's going on I there? 
I do. And this is this is one that just came out regarding uh, the, the seminary requirements for graduation. It, you know, it used to be that uh, I think 75 percent of the days you had to read out of the Book of Mormon or out of the whichever the, the, the standard work was for that year that you were studying. And they've recently just come out and said that uh, they're going to change the program to where you just have to read select readings and that each of the students would kind of be asked to come up with their own uh reading schedule. They kind of developed their own process. It's kind of what they did with the youth programs, where instead of a Boy Scout program that was very structured and said, this is what you have to do, they went to this. Everyone makes up their own goals in each category uh, and and does that. So uh, their their idea here is, is that, you know, that they're going to that there's different people in different levels. They talked about, they, they kind of compared it to a, the parable of the tares where there's uh, some ground brought forth a hundredfold, some 60 fold, some 30 fold. And they said, every student has a different level. And therefore we don't want just the hundredfold. We want those who have different levels who may not have family support or whatever to be able to thrive and bring forth as well. It seems to me more like maybe what they're trying to do is avoid some of the more difficult historical and problematic verses in the Book of Mormon by saying, well, don't read the whole thing, just read these select verses so that they can more focus what what the church wants you to know and, and not have the students finding out things that may question their, their faith. Uh, uh, well, you know, I just hope that you know, now that we're not reading all the scriptures, I, I just have a few suggestions that of the things that we're going to concentrate on. I hope that the new seminary curriculum, first of all, I have two kids in seminary right now. So I hope that this new uh, curriculum, which only has certain passages that you're going to be focused on. I hope that it's focused on, number one, the book of Abraham facsimiles. That, that's where I hope that we're spending a lot of time <laughs> or maybe the slippery treasures in the book of Mormon. I'd like to spend a couple of weeks on how, how do those treasures go up and down, you know, in the earth? What's what's the process there? Or the she bears uh, in the woods, you know, the uh, children who mock the prophet in the Old Testament. You know, those are the kind of the passages that I'd like to see focused on. I, I, I don't That's just me. Al, what, what are you seeing in this uh, article? Um, I'm seeing a whole lot of busy work being created for seminary teachers. And the question in my mind is all for what? Because. Uh, I mean, having been a grad uh, graduate of uh, seminary myself, I have I don't even know where my uh, my seminary diploma is. It's it's really um, I, I I still have yet to see the use of that piece of paper. I, I you know I don't I, I don't want to come out necessarily and say it's absolutely worthless. I'm just curious what the whole purpose is. And furthermore, I I, I get what they're trying to to say about you know that you got some. Uh, kids who are only going to produce 30 fold and others are 60 fold and others 100 fold. And so far they've catered to the 100 fold and set the, the uh, standard there. Uh, but this one, you re it really does seem to be lowering the bar. It's uh, setting the, the goalpost way back at 30 uh, fold instead of 100 fold. So, of course, the 100 fold students are, are getting A's and uh, graduating. But now you're uh, also going to be giving seminary diplomas to uh, the C students or the D students, the ones that, uh, and it's not necessarily for the kids fault. I mean, some of these kids don't have the support that they need and, or to accomplish that kind of, uh, study or whatever, but, um, it, it's just, it, it's a little strange and bizarre to me how much effort they're, they're throwing here. And a lot of times to, uh, early morning seminary teachers who are just volunteers that don't get, uh, paid for this, you're throwing a lot of busy work at them for what? Yeah. That's what I'm, curious about. Well, I read in the New Testament, Al, that there are seminary diplomas celestial, diplomas terrestrial, and diplomas yeah. telestial. And it so seems now like we're... celestial? 
It seems like everyone's going to telestial here. Now, Landon, let me ask you, you pointed this out, that the article says that the assessment is going to be moved from an individual assessment, which was the way when I went through seminary, uh, it was an individual assessment. I just want the record to show here that I graduated seminary cum laude. Yes, with honors. Mm -hmm. I have my diploma, Al. I just want you to know that. I have it, and it says cum laude on there. Very prestigious. That's right. I went to summer. I not only went to regular seminary and early morning seminary, I went to summer seminary. I loved my seminary experience in the church. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, Landon, how is it going to go from an individual assessment to a group review? How's how's that going to work? I, I really have no idea. It's, it reminds me of, you know, soccer trophies where everybody on the team gets the trophy. Uh, yeah. because it just, oh, the whole class is going to graduate because we did a great job together. Uh, so that seems to be that. And knowing that you have uh, the, the cum, Sada Cum Laude, uh, that, that probably mm-hmm. explains why you were working at BYU. <laughs> now, it wasn't Summa Cum Laude. That's with high honors. It was just Cum Laude with oh, honors. Okay. okay? <laughs> so I, I, that's I don't why want I'm to... not in the first presidency yet. <laughs> I, I don't speak Latin. <laughs> yeah, that probably explains why I haven't received my area authority call up yet. You know, I've been waiting for that. Mm-hmm. And uh, that probably explains it. It certainly seems that if you've got youth leaving right after high school onto these missions, that you would want them to be taught very well. On This is their chance to learn the Book of Mormon and to mm-hmm. learn the scriptures. And rather than lower the bar, you'd think you'd really want to be strengthening the bar at this point. Well, that, that's and, what and they that were doing, right? Be happening uh, with, with this program. And I know I was a, I was the scout master at the time they changed the, the Boy Scout program. And I will say mm-hmm. it took a lot of effort. It was almost impossible with just, you know, 10 or 12 boys, how do you have individual goals of each boy that you're trying to follow? Take that on a seminary teacher who has hundreds of students. There is no way you can manage hundreds of individual goals. Uh, I have a concern about it if I was a, if I was a seminary teacher right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for our listeners out there, if you will drop us a like, if you will give us a thumbs up, we also release all of these episodes onto YouTube. You can find us over there. Leave us a comment. We'd be very grateful for your subscription or thumbs up or a five-star review. Now, Landon, you found a lot of good articles. Uh, you stay very uh, you stay very close to the pulse uh, of uh, um, LDS Church News. And you found this uh, latest from Mormonland. The LDS Church sees the UN as a friend, not a foe. What's going on with that article? Yeah, uh, Ezra Taft Benson must be rolling in his grave right now. Anyone who's familiar with him, he was very anti the UN. Uh, anyone who's driven through Eastern Idaho, you see all these all these signs. Get us out of the UN! And yeah. here we find out that the church has teamed up uh, with with the UN and finds them as a very valuable partner. Uh, UNESCO is the UN charity that uh, gets food out to the world in, in a lot of different places, and the church has teamed up with them. Recently, they gave their largest donation ever. Uh, to UNESCO, uh, which was $32 million, uh, basically in food support uh, that they uh, gave out of the church's holdings. Uh, You know, that seems like a lot of money, uh, but $32 million uh, doesn't, uh, out of the billions that the church brings in, really is just a drop in the bucket. Uh, Not sure, Al, what your thoughts are on that. Oh, my, my thoughts completely align with you on that one, Landon. This one's uh, really interesting when you, because I mean, yeah, 31 million, that's that's huge deal for you and for me. It's a lot more than I'll ever be worth in my entire life. But for the church, uh, worth, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars. Yeah, uh, this is something that's affordable. This is This is far less than paying tithing in a day, right? Yeah, absolutely. So apparently, Landon, from this article that you found, yesterday's filthy communist is today's business partner, potential convert, and future tithe payer. Right? <laughs> Definitely a, a victory for Satan, for sure, paying the tithing money to the UN. 
Right. So the church takes in about five to six billion dollars in tithing per year, plus about a billion dollars in fast offering. So just talking about the tithing only, the church takes in a hundred million dollars in tithing every single day. Okay, so the church's largest donation, which took place, I don't know, about three or four months ago, like you mentioned to UNESCO, was $31 million. That's that's only eight hours of tithing for, for yeah. you know, that's eight hours of tithing that you brought in. That's not even a full day. That's not 10%. That's not 5%. That is eight hours of income. That's not to include the church's commercial ventures, which the church also brings in a great deal of income in. So this $31 million, mega props to the church. I've never donated anything like that, but that is a drop in a bucket um, compared to what the church could do. So don't want to overlook the fact that uh, UNESCO does do some great work, uh, gets into countries that, uh, you know, they, they get some force protection and can get in where other people can't get in. Uh, so uh, anytime that, that money's being given to help feed people, that's that's a good thing. Uh, it just 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 seems a little weird that they've that they've teamed up with the U.N. after all of the Ezra Taft Benson years that we heard uh, of what a horrible organization. It was. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. If you if you think about, say, Bill and Melinda Gates, Bill Gates gave 20 billion dollars in 2022 alone to his foundation, meaning goodbye, 20 billion dollars. That's like a third of his net worth. He gave yeah. away a third of his net worth and said goodbye. And that's not in addition to all the previous years. He has said that he is going to die penniless. If we compare the church to the other large organizations like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, like you, uh, like other, the other organizations that are like-sized, the donations, if you were to put them up on a, a screen of comparison, it'd be like comparing, I don't know, it'd be like comparing an LDS chapel with the Burj Dubai. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. our, our next article here is I really want to get into, and this is a fascinating look here from the church news itself. So this I this was a really interesting article here this week. It mm -hmm. was it was published by Sydney Walker on 28 January 2023. And it was how a miraculous river crossing at the Johannesburg FSY taught youth to trust in the Lord. Um, what's FSY, Landon? Uh, uh, isn't it especially for youth or... That's what it used to be called. Now, it's been renamed in the last couple of years. It used to be called EFY. Now, since President Nelson has renamed everything, now it's FSY for the strength of the youth. Okay. So in this article, we had 500 youth that made it across the flooded river, either on the backs of young single adults or on their own with the help of safety ropes. So Al, can you describe the, the first picture in the article for our listeners out there? I don't want to rain on the whole parade, but there was plenty of rain coming down, so I'm sure this is just a drop in the bucket, okay? Uh, this river is um, full of muddy water, so it's it's flooded, sure. Uh, the wires have overrun the banks. There's a, a footbridge that's built over this river that doesn't quite span the whole river anymore because now the river's overflowed its banks, so it's extended a little bit beyond that. They said it, uh, about 30 meters total that the uh, kids had to walk through uh, water. They said it was knee deep. This is looking more like about four inches, about ankle deep water. It's okay. um, there are the safety ropes up there, um, but people are very capably carrying like uh, boxes and suitcases, supplies, you know, stuff for this camp. It's that they're still holding a camp um, for this thing being a, a huge disaster or a huge flood. Um, I they obviously it wasn't a big enough problem to call it off and. Uh, I don't know for the, this miracle. Uh, it seems like more of a, a mild inconvenience than a miracle to me. Right. Yeah. So from the article, it says to reach Konka, which was the venue of the Johannesburg FSY conference, the buses needed to travel some distance on dirt roads and cross a river using a low water bridge to enter the facility. However, because of the storm, the river had risen uh, so high that it was not possible to use the bridge. So over 500 youth made it across the flooded river, either on the backs of the young single adults or on their own with the help of safety ropes. Now, Landon, do you see anyone being carried on the back in, in the photos? It was anyone being carried on 
the back of young single adults on this? I, I didn't. I thought that was interesting because the whole article seemed to be to kind of recreate the Willie Handcart company crossing of the river in the freezing uh, rain and, and whatnot. Uh, and this, I didn't see a single picture of anyone crossing yet. They mentioned that like 500 kids were carried across that way. And they made it sound like they'd waded across the river, but in fact, they did use the bridge. They just, at the at the extremes of the bridge, they came to, off the bridge and into water uh, mm -hmm. that they had to then wade the remaining way across. So it, it, it definitely did not look anything like I would have pictured the Willie Hancock Company miracle, uh, and even if you want to call that a miracle, mm -hmm. uh, because the, I, I believe the boys died in that. Oh, yeah. They all suffered as, as a result of those uh, that exposure. Uh, and some of them died rather quickly after. But uh... Actually, I'm going to take issue with that, Al, because there's been a lot of research that's looked at the mm -hmm. sweet. We're talking about the Willie and Martin Handcart companies crossing mm -hmm. the Sweetwater River in Wyoming, yeah. uh, November 4th, 1856. And the mm -hmm. legendary, that's tied into this church article, too. The legendary yeah. uh, story here is that three particular young men in the Willie mm -hmm. and Martin Handcart company carried everyone over the Sweetwater River on their backs. So because it was freezing, mm -hmm. uh, it was a freezing river and that they yeah. eventually either died a short time later. But there's been a lot of research into those young men. And none of them died, I believe, within 25 years, and two of them uh, lived mm -hmm. to old age. So the ah, idea that they just yeah. immediately just died right afterwards—that's kind of a, a Mormon legendary story. So yeah. we're tying, we're tying, we're trying to tie a legendary story in the past mm -hmm. to a legendary story in the present. Yeah, but one is legendary, and the other one is uh, a mild inconvenience. The Martin Lily <laughs> Handcart Company, uh, their option was to turn around and walk 1,500 miles back in the dead of winter. Uh, to Independence, Missouri. That was the nearest outpost. The, uh, or they could push on, get across the river, and uh, travel another 100 miles to get to uh, Salt Lake. So, uh, you know, a little bit different uh, circumstance, different time of year. They were in the yeah. in, in winter. Uh, this is Johannesburg, South Africa. It's summer there. They're on the other exactly. side of the equator. Yeah. They're wearing shorts. They're wearing shorts, and they took their shoes off. Yeah, I would dare say it would be a miracle if they would have, you know, if they could have parted the four inches of water and oh, walked across on dry land. I would grant that a, a, mm -hmm. a miracle. Yeah, yeah. Um, I say a four four inch water for me is a four inch miracle. Okay, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, it says that young single adults leapt to their feet, volunteering excite in excitement to be a rescuer. Now let me mm -hmm. let me just get this straight. You're rescuing someone who voluntarily waded into ankle deep water under close adult supervision, whose arm length away from a safety rope, that's a rescue? Mm -hmm. And, and um, typically a rescue is getting you off of somewhere where you're stuck. They're actually trying to get onto something. Yeah, to get stuck. <laughs> uh, where I mean, yeah, this is the beginning of the camp. It's not the end of it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So it seems, seems, guys, it seems like so many church miracles seem to revolve around controlling the weather, especially the water and the rain. Mm -hmm. Because in the article, it says that they prayed for the rain to stop. And you, I've got it here for you. It says a few hours later, the rain began to lessen. So is it rain? Yeah. Rain control seems to be God's go-to Mormon miracle, right? Yeah. So yeah, a few hours later, I mean, that we got we to just kind of skim over that part, right? The, a few hours later, uh, the rain began to lessen. And so, I mean, essentially, this is the the exact same thing as immediately as soon as they said amen the waters ceased and the uh and the uh the river subsided and they were able to walk across on dry ground um at least that's the story that's going to be told in years to come i'm sure well, yeah, what about the faster because it was 40 years in the uh it, it, for Noah or for, yeah. 40 days and 40 nights for Noah it's just hours yeah. here so yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's good that's improving <laughs> good point well said Landon <laughs> hey, these these kids were truly safe for the last days I think I think we can agree upon that
Yeah. Now, I mean, so God's helping out with the rain here. Can, can he not just direct the rain from South Africa and move it over to Utah? Because that's where it really, it's one thing to pray for the rain to yeah. stop. Can we pray for the rain to just move locations? That's what we really mm -hmm. need. That is what we need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we definitely I, take it here in Utah. That's for sure. <laughs> you know, I just, I just think about to Martin Harris, you know, uh, uh, the William and, uh, and Harris uh, company. I think that they would have a significant problem seeing a miracle here. Now, do you know that I was thinking about this article a lot. Do you know the best thing about praying for the rain to stop? If you're asking for a miracle and you pray and ask for rain to stop, because this has happened a number of times recently in church news articles, the best thing about praying for the rain to stop is that that prayer will be always be answered. Always. Mm -hmm. It's the yeah. only 100% prayer that I can think of. I, no, seriously. What yeah. is another prayer where you're praying for a miracle that you are guaranteed for it to be answered? Especially when you don't have a time limit on that, right? I mean, exactly. It, it might be in a few minutes. It might be in a few days. It might be in a few weeks, a few months. But I mean, pretty much it never rains constantly for more than a few months in any part on the globe. Yep. Guaranteed answer to that prayer. Um, mm -hmm. So now I was just thinking about this uh, particular story on the same day, just the same day that God apparently answered the mm -hmm. prayers to help the kids with the four inch water and, uh, um, you know, stop the rain worldwide. About twenty five thousand people start to death on that same day back in. Yeah. Uh, this was in uh -huh. December. Um, mm -hmm. You know, about a thousand people starve an hour on this planet horribly. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing yeah. that uh, how long did you think it took to get those uh, five hundred kids across a couple hours? What do you think? Um, a couple hours. Yeah. Uh, two, three hours. So at the same mm -hmm. time that those kids were crossing, about 3,000 people starved to death on the planet, mm -hmm. which, and, you know, God, I, it, I'm, I'm sure at least uh, a third of those people were praying for God to not let them starve to death. Uh, I know I would. Yeah. I, I know so I, would. Uh, I guess, you know, pick and choose. They, they, they're, uh, they're starving to death, which just wasn't in the plan. But uh, the rain stopping so that these guys could uh, start their for the strength of youth camp or conference, whatever. Yeah. Uh, that. That's priorities. I guess so. Now, I, I could only find some of this data from U.S. data only from the CDC. So I don't know the worldwide numbers on some of the following. But again, on the same day that uh, uh, that these kids were um, had a miraculous rescue, 2,000 people's hearts stopped uh, beating in the United States. 2,000 had a heart attack and just died. 1,200 oh. people were sexually assaulted. About 1,200 mm -hmm. people actually fell to their deaths. 1,000 mm -hmm. people died in car crashes. 260 mm -hmm. people died from poisoning. 250 died from drug overdose. And 70 died via homicide. That's only in the United States. You could multiply that mm -hmm. by a factor of like 20 across the, the entire world. I don't have the worldwide data. I only found the CDC data. So God is answering this miracle for this uh, the ankle deep water and the stopping of the rain. At the same time that hundreds of millions worldwide are experiencing significant suffering from lack of medical care, lack of pro uh, proper uh, nutrition, uh, starving to death lack of uh, ability to you know, generate income for yourself, have access to clean water, have any type of medical care. Now, guys, how many, um, how many people do you think, uh, Mormons do you think uh, found their, their car keys on a particular day with God's help? How many, I couldn't find that data. Yeah, significantly uh, uh, less yeah. with uh, him being busy with this crossing. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm thinking it's significantly more because I haven't heard of anybody that wasn't able to find their car keys this week. That's um, it. Didn't make the news, uh, church news, anyway. This sounds like a good study for BYU, except for that the answer might not be faith promoting. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. it would already be decided what the outcome is. That God does help you find your keys, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. This this could be a dangerous study if it doesn't line up with what the church teaches. So I, maybe we better not take a look at that. Now that's why I have a serious fundamental question about this story. Why is God helping out with this FSY when so many other desperately needed prayers from people in horrible suffering situations? Are seemingly going unanswered. I mean, just why? Well, because they didn't. They really didn't want to have to cancel this year's FSY because last year uh, the Omicron variant was uh, big and the COVID 
uh, pandemic. So they had to call it off because of that. So they didn't want to have to call off <sighs> another year in a row. Ouch. Yeah, it, it, it made me wonder, you know, it, it they're making it a very faith promoting story. But had any kids slipped and fell in that water and, and gone down mm-hmm. the stream? Uh, yeah. It would have then been local leaders make bad choice. You know, it, it's, yeah. it's God's miracle when the, everyone comes across. But mm-hmm. if, if anyone had slipped and fell, they all would have said this was a horrible decision and, yeah. and blamed the local leaders for it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a fine line between a miracle and a lawsuit. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I guess, you know, that just reminds me, uh, Landon, that God's ways are higher than our ways. And his thoughts are very much higher than my thoughts because... <laughs> This is not, you know, I was thinking about Jim Carrey. What's that movie where he plays God? What's that movie? Oh, Bruce Almighty. Yeah. yeah. If Bruce Almighty, you know, if I'm playing Bruce Almighty and I get the prayers that come in, you remember he's on his computer and he just types yes to all of them. The yeses that I would do would be for those, um, the people starving to death, for the car crashes, mm-hmm. for the overdoses. For That's where I would put the yeses. And for the four inch river crossing, that's where I, you know, I don't know. I would put a maybe on that. So I guess that's why, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm not a God in embryo. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's my whole problem. Yeah. Maybe. You know? I guess so. Now, uh, for our listeners out there, if you will, uh, if you will, if you want to uh, give us your thoughts on that, we'd greatly appreciate it. Uh, that brings us to our next article here, which is our uh, second to last article here. Now, this is another one from the Church News, published by Scott Taylor on 31 January 2023. Elder Rundland warns against spiritual hyperopia and looking beyond the mark. Now, he says in this article that spiritual hyperopia is taking for granted and not appreciating things that are close and occur frequently. So this he gave this talk on Sunday, January 29th, devotional at the Tempe, Arizona Institute of Religion. I had to look this up, Landon. Um, uh, hyperopia is a vision condition in which nearby objects are blurry, and that's also known as being farsighted. Now, if you combine this with President Nelson's kind of uh, famous myopic, we have short-sightedness, which is myopic, is a very mm-hmm. common eye condition where you cannot see objects uh, uh, far away. And now we have hyperopia, which is where you can't see uh, uh, objects that are um, nearby. Mm-hmm. So uh, from the article, we have spiritual hyperopia is taking for granted and not appreciating things that are close and occur frequently. So apparently from this article, what I'm what I'm gathering is the world is not properly appreciating Russell M. Nelson. Landon, what percent of the world even knows who Russell M. Nelson is? Well, if you take the church's statistics, it's maybe 0.02 percent. Uh... Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, if, if you take those that aren't active or really just had a missionary discussion or two and may not know who the prophet is now, you're you're talking maybe 0.01% of the world's population who would even know the name. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, certainly some non-members or members of other faiths know who he is too, right? It, yeah, uh, but I, I would think that there's a lot that don't know who the current uh, prophets are as well, though, uh, mm-hmm. that, that are active members or inactive members uh, worlds away may not Mm-hmm. even know those names. So I'd say 0.01 to 0.02%. Yeah. So uh, we're not, we're taking, we're not appreciating things that are close and occur frequently. And I'm wondering what is occurring frequently that I'm not appreciating. Are, are prophecies occurring frequently? Is seership occurring frequently? Are revelations occurring frequently? Is President Nelson healing people with priesthood authority frequently? Is he leading the world on important social, political, moral, or religious affairs frequently? Uh, you know, forget frequently. How about ever? How can one take for granted or appreciate something that has never happened? I'm starting to see a rather common thread in the news this week. Um, It seems like they're really trying to uh, lower expectations of of the church, of leaderships, of the Lord. Um, But they're really trying to um, raise expectations of that they've been throwing around the term covenant a lot to remind you of your covenants. And one of the very first covenants that you ever make is baptism. And 
a lot of uh, members of the church have made this covenant when they were eight years old. And the church really wants to drive the point home that, hey, you have promised, you made a very, uh, very sacred covenant to always stick with the church. Um, but the church, well, um, we're not going to raise the bar for the church. We're going to, we're going to bring it down a little bit, make a little bit more, manage the expectations a little, if you will. I mean, what is it, what exactly is occurring frequently that we are supposedly even church members uh, taking for granted? Is it the flip-flopping policies? Have I not been appreciating those well enough? Is it patriarchy Obviously praising? <laughs> I, I, is it the patriarchy praising church news press releases that I have been taking for granted, or is it hoarding the widow's might? Have I been mm -hmm. taking that for granted and not been appreciating enough? Or is it renaming church programs and BYU buildings or the global temple building spree mm -hmm. or minor general conference tweaks? What is it that is occurring frequently that that I'm taking for granted that I'm missing? That's that's what I'm wondering here, Landon. Yeah, to me, it's the flip flopping. Uh, you know, I've mm -hmm. really appreciated that between the November policy that uh, change that happened and and then conference. Are we going to have a Saturday night session? Are we not going to have a Saturday night session? Are we going to have prayer on the first hour of church or not have prayer after the first second hour? Yeah, second, second, hour. second hour. Yes, yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that 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 uh, that that really shows me some of the great prophecies mm -hmm. that are going on right now. Yep. I guess I'm taking those very, very minor policy tweaks for granted. I'm not appreciating them well enough. You know, uh, I'm just, <laughs> come on. <laughs> now, uh, do you have that next quote from, this is the, another quote from the article here. Al, do you have that next quote? I do. And sometimes, because Russell M. Nelson is so familiar and he is so common, we overlook what it means to have a Moses among us. Uh, how do you feel about that quote? How do you feel about that quote, uh, Al? That tastes bad coming out of the mouth. I mean, a Moses among us, come on. Uh, be, because he's so familiar and so common. But, all right, you have a, a 98-year-old guy. Personally, I've never met him. Um, I, so I, I don't know how familiar I am, I, I would say he is. Yeah. Because uh, I don't. he doesn't seem to be someone that goes out amongst the people very much. He's, he's often either on a fishing boat or behind closed doors uh, vacuuming his carpets. Um, you know, th this is my recent experience with uh, Russell M. Nelson. You know, he may... He may seem common, you know, just uh, grandpa likes to go fishing and uh, keep the house clean with his wife. Uh, but I, yeah, is he a Moses? That's the, the issue. <laughs> yeah, Landon, let me ask you, Landon, let's compare Moses with Russell M. Nelson, which is what Elder Runlin is doing. What are what are Moses's bona fides? What is Moses known for? I, I believe he actually did part the waters of, of a sea or something mm -hmm. like that. Ah, uh, right. I, mm -hmm. I don't think they waded across that one. Um, <laughs> so uh, obviously uh, the, the nation of Israel was founded by him. Uh, the Ten Commandments uh, mm -hmm. are certainly some of the things that he did. He wrote, supposedly he's the author of the uh, first five books of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. uh, Stop plagues, called upon plagues. Uh, yeah. yeah, pretty significant uh, things that happened. Uh, hell and fire from heaven. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Maybe Russell M. Nelson could do that if we gave him a chance. I don't know. I've given him a five, ten, five years now. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah, he Moses... certainly had plenty of chance. I mean, there was a worldwide pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, Moses, he brought forth the quails. He, he made water from a rock. He, he wrote hundreds of chapters of new scriptures. He, he led them to the promised land. Um, he stopped the plague. In Numbers chapter 16, Moses, as opposed to Russell M. Nelson, who called for the two-day uh, two fasting, Moses actually stopped plagues. Um, Russell M. Nelson did not. Uh, he called forth bread from heaven. He parted the Red Sea. He melted the ice of the Red Sea. Um, he, two, three great faith traditions traced themselves back to Moses. Islam, uh, Judaism, and Christianity. Like half of the world's uh, population uh, understands and knows who Moses is and calls him a prophet. He was a truly transformative 
world-renowned figure. 90% of the people on this planet, I don't know, maybe 80%, know who Moses is. Okay, and what are Russell M. Nelson, uh, what are his bona fides, Al? Um, well, he trademarked the term Mormon uh, and uh, is suing anybody that uses it. <laughs> yeah, you did set up the giving machine, and uh, I think that the pray for Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving, that prayer for Thanksgiving, oh, that uh, was nice of him. Yeah. That was pretty significant. Hashtag give thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he shortened church. Yeah, that's oh, the book. That's got my vote right there. For yeah, there we go. <laughs> Moses like <laughs> now he, he asked. He got rid of the Boy Scouts, which in my opinion was one of mm-hmm. the best programs in the entire church. I had two sons who were in mm-hmm. Boy Scouts at the time. We had to go to a different church mm-hmm. now to for our sons to finish up Boy Scouts. Mm-hmm. He um he used his prophetic discernment. Uh, Al, what did he use his prophetic discernment for? Uh, he used his prophetic discernment to change the logo from uh, the angel Moroni blowing the trumpet over to the Lutheran Christus statue. And also for Scrabble, as and you remember. Scrabble, from... that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Don't do not go up against him on Scrabble. He probably knows what's on your ledger line, and you're not going to win. But, I'm but sure that alone would... is worth triple points. So uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he would be so insufferable to play Scrabble with. <laughs> uh, you're, no, you're, you're not going to win that one, Al. Don't even no, try. No. <laughs> uh, he also divinely he also divinely promised Puerto Rico that in the aftermath of the devastating uh, Hurricane Maria hurricane, that things mm-hmm. would get better. In, yeah. in one of the in the worst times um, in our hemisphere, and he also has given us some New Year's deep sea fishing tips. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, is there? I, I, I'm trying to compare here the modern day Moses, what Elder Runlin said, with what Russell M. Nelson has done. I'm trying to do it in the most charitable way that I can. Do you see any differences between these two figures? A lot. I think I I think Elder Runlin may have lost focus of what the prophet does and mm-hmm. blurred uh, the lines between prophets and policymakers. Mm-hmm. I guess prophets aren't what they used to be. That's that's all I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, mean? you know, I may be suffering not only from spiritual hyperopia, but I may be suffering from myopia as well. I I, I can't, yeah. you know, my you, eyes must be glazed over. Yeah, <laughs> you definitely need um, some sort of a spiritual doctor. Um, if only there was a, you know, some sort of a spiritual doctor running the church, as we've been told time and time and time again in general conference. Yeah, I'll, there's one more quote from, uh, you, can you read that next quote? There's one last quote from this article that I want to cover. Can you read that next quote? Brothers and sisters, we have treasures buried in our own front yard. We sometimes take them for granted. What kind of treasures do you think that Elder Rundlin might be referring to here, Al? Uh, well, I mean, I've had people go through my front yard with metal detectors. They found a couple of rusty nails. Um, oh. that That's uh, all that was in my front yard. But I'm thinking he's referring to the prophet. Uh, but, I, but I don't know why he's he's referring to it. What, what treasures? Is there? Because I mean, we're not really given anything from this guy in uh, in Salt Lake City. So, well, the only treasures that I can think of that are buried that the church has buried in its own front yard would be Ensign Peak. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. That's that's mm-hmm. a treasure that the church buried in its own front yard, literally just yeah. right off of uh, Temple Square. The Ensign Peak building mm-hmm. is right next door. They buried about a hundred billion dollars into Ensign yeah. Peak, and mm-hmm. I guess that's been taken for granted. You know, I haven't appreciated Ensign Peak like I was supposed to. You know that? That's that's true. We we all, we're all guilty of not. Uh, they're, they're sure, certainly not short-sighted when it comes to picking stocks. That's for sure. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I don't know about that because Ensign Peak we covered this last week in the oh, last three right. quarters. In they the last three the worst quarters, year ever. <laughs> it's lost at least three billion dollars in the last three quarters. Mm-hmm. Okay, at least that much. I mean, this, the Dow Jones has lost. Every, mm-hmm. You know, stocks are doing really badly. The Dow Jones has lost twenty-three percent, twenty-one percent over the last three quarters. But Ensign yeah. Peak has lost twenty-three percent. So the church yeah. is losing more money than the Dow Jones itself. And you know, and they're still going strong. They still have plenty of money in the coffers. They're not uh, they're not hard up. I mean, yeah, I mean can, can you imagine being able to lose three 
billion dollars in a quarter and not be ruined <laughs> over the last three quarters just to yeah. be oh, over the last right. three over the last three quarters that's right and that does take us to our Mormon News uh, Roundup question of the week. If you come on over to Anchor, you can interact with us with our question of the week. And it is, how do you feel about Elder Rundlin comparing Moses to President Russell M. Nelson? If you come on over to Anchor, you can interact with us on our poll. And that does bring us to our final news article of the week. And this is a very interesting one that has really taken the web by a storm. This was published originally by Billboard on February 1st, 2023. Young boy never broke again is considering a Mormon baptism. So this is a, a cover story on Billboard um, where young boy, he is a, a young African-American rapper. He has been on house arrest for several years, but he found newfound peace while residing in Utah and getting close to the missionaries of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So uh, Landon, what's going on with young boy? Well, he's had quite a quite a turnaround. It, it, uh, in fact, I know this, this hit big time. It hit the Deseret News this morning uh, about this. So he is a rapper who, as they said, ran into a little legal trouble. Uh, he's actually <laughs> under house arrest uh, and has been for several years and meeting with the missionaries, which I, you would think that the missionaries would not be allowed to meet with people who are under house arrest. Uh, but uh, evidently they are. And uh, uh, he's changing his songs. In fact, uh, one of the songs he wrote, I read in the Desert News today, he has actually taken right from the Book of Mormon. So like the first couple verses of his songs are a scripture from the Book of Mormon. So wow, we'll see how Book of Mormon raps go over uh, in the rap world. I guess. I guess so. <laughs> well, you know, if you think about the children's hymnal, it kind of does have a rap. The Book of Mormon stories, that's kind of like a rap. Book of Mormon <laughs> stories, that's kind of a rap. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's kind of good to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's gonna fit right in. Yeah, now, he's gonna get all the all the young uh, LDS kids are gonna be going. Oh, that's my idol, uh, and he's mm -hmm. actually turned down uh, some of his. Uh, Murder raps, as he calls them, have been, uh, mm -hmm. reduced uh, uh, so that they're not as violent anymore. Oh. Yeah, so that's what I'm wondering here, uh, Al. So a murder rapper becomes a Mormon. Now Brigham Young was big on the murders. I think we can all agree on that. He was, he yeah. was basically, yeah, he was, he was good on that. But however, he's black. So ha Brigham Young, he's he'd be happy mm -hmm. or he would be upset. What do you think? Um, I'm thinking he'd be upset. Um, okay, mostly because this kid's not LDS yet, and um, yeah, I mean, I gotcha. uh, once he gets baptized, I think. Uh, Brigham Young will have a job for him. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, now do you think, Landon, that the, that we can put a place in the uh, World Peace Dome in India? Do you think that Young Boy Never Broke could be put right next to uh, Joseph Smith in that World Peace Dome? I, I think that'd be a, a marvelous place for him. Uh, all, all the all the uh, celebrities, all the LDS celebrities are on board. And in fact, the article today in Deseret News said that uh, NFL player Kyle Van Noy has volunteered to be one of the witnesses at his baptism. And, uh, and, oh, and Van Noy goodness. is a former BYU uh, football player and a very active member. Yep, mm -hmm. yep. He's one of the best BYU football players that really came across the entire program. So mm -hmm. that's really saying something. Now, that, that's why, I guess, we're going to, David Archuleta, he's on the way down because, you know, <laughs> he's gay. So he's out. And Alex Boyer, he got divorced, divorced from his wife, so he's out too. So mm -hmm. move over, David Archuleta and Alex Boyer. Young boy never broke again. He is a star that is rising. Mm -hmm. Well, and he's got 10 children, so clearly he needs to be on the BYU uh, 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 birth control program. <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute. He, he really does have 10 kids? He's, he's 23 years old and has 10 kids from, I think, eight different women. <laughs> He'll fit in great. I, I think yeah. he, he might be looking at the wrong branch of Mormonism. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, this kind of reminds me, if Orrin Porter Rockwell was a rapper, I think this is exactly what we would get. Uh-huh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, I do have a new, uh, maybe, you know, you get a new name when you go to the temple, and I do have mm -hmm. a, an idea for his new name, and his new name should be 
Brigham Young Boy never broke. Get it? Brigham <laughs> Young Boy? Yeah. I think that that would fit in really well. Now, he says in the article that he calls Mormons wonderful people. Wait a minute, Mormons? Oh, yeah, I thought he just met with the missionaries. Somebody, <laughs> need... what are you doing, dude? Yeah, I, I I agree. Salespeople that come to my door to you know put new siding or something on is they're great people. Uh, kind of their job. Yeah, but he shouldn't be calling them Mormons. No, he, obviously... he clearly didn't get the memo. Yeah. No, yeah. no, yeah, they, he's going to be real surprised by a, a few things. I think. <laughs> now, who is the first person who's going to tell him about the race and the priesthood ban? That's what I want to know. <laughs> me, <laughs> but I'm sure when he finds that out, ah. <laughs> uh, it's not going to be me. I'm not telling a murder rapper about the race and priesthood ban. I'm not going to fall on that sword, guys. We, we, Sorry. We've got a great link on that on Mormonish. We just did an episode on that. Maybe I'll send that over to him. I, I, that's a great idea. Actually, I, uh, Landon, I listened to that entire episode of yours. That was a really, really great episode. It was a fascinating look into the race and priesthood ban with the slides all done in an hour and 15 minutes. I learned. I already knew quite a bit about it. I learned a lot more. That was a great episode on Mormonish. Now, I, I do have one last question for you guys. This is a serious question here. Can a convicted felon join the church? I mean, is there no background screening or anything? I mean, what is the requirement here? Well, um, as as I recall, they can with first presidency approval. So, oh, okay. I, I and they are I, I saying he so. has to be off house arrest before he can be baptized. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, does he? I mean, you could baptize him in his own bathtub. I mean, there's nothing mm -hmm. against that. True. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Um, You're supposed to have gone to church at least one time. Now that could be a problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's a problem if. Well, I, I guess it depends on how long he's been taking the discussions. Because are, are they still broadcasting uh, church over Zoom? Good point. Because that's a that's a possibility as well. It's uh, not like they could. I don't think that they put a, a full uh, breaks on baptisms during the pandemic. But um, I know that a lot of wards have stopped doing the Zoom uh, yeah. broadcast. Yeah, but, they're starting yeah. to pull that back. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of convicted felons joining the church, uh, Ted Bundy, uh, does that? Mm -hmm. Now, technically, yeah. <laughs> technically, he was not a convicted felon when he joined the church because they hadn't caught up, uh, caught him from his Washington murders. He murdered yeah. about 10 to 15 people in Washington, yeah. moved was, to Utah, got baptized. He was, he but, was guilty <laughs> right. when he got baptized, but uh, yeah, not convicted yet. Yeah, mm -hmm. he wasn't a convicted felon. Um, you know, it would have been a good time for that bishop discernment. That would have just been a really yeah. good time for that. You know that? But you, know, mm -hmm. you win some, you lose some. Or what about Jody Arias? You know, she, mm -hmm. Was she convicted felon? No, that didn't happen until afterwards. Uh, not, okay, sure. so. not until after, but um, let's see, we did have, well, uh, I guess uh, the, uh, what's, her, what's her name? Lori Vallow uh, and Chad Daybell, they were baptized members, uh, committed felons. Or, yeah. Yeah. So, so young boy, he could be joining a very vaulted and elite group of Mormons. Is that safe to say? Be. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. oh, no, absolutely. That, does, that does bring us to our Mormon News Roundup poll of the week. And uh, Al, do you have our poll of the week question here? Yep. The question for the poll this week is, how should the church use rapper Young Boy's inspired LDS conversion to bring more souls into the kingdom? Good question, Al. Um, Landon, is it number one? Uh, highlight him front and center on the Leahona magazine, but Photoshop his dreadlocks out. Yeah, we don't want to send the wrong message, Landon. You know, there's the church guidelines for when you submit article, uh, submit pictures to the Leahona. There's the guidelines. I don't know if dreadlocks are a part of that, but I'm pretty sure that you can't have the gold teeth. I don't, I don't know that for certainty. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. But uh, or is it number? Uh, I'm sure number they'll two. touch up the they'll touch up the picture like they did Mary and get it to to, to look all right. Yeah, let's yeah. get those gold teeth out. Let's get those gold teeth out. Let's remove the tattoos. Let's Photoshop the dreadlocks out. You know, you there's bring a lot of things. To standard, right? Yeah, exactly. Or or is it number two? 
Feature his murder rapping in the next First Presidency Christmas devotional with Motab backup singers. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> That's very inspiring. That's extremely inspiring. You know, um, I wonder what song would be best for him. I'm trying to think what song would be best. Maybe um, what's the what's that uh, the war song? It's like uh, uh, the soldiers uh, on Christmas. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's kind of, kind of a nice violent. You know, that's kind of a nice yeah. violent. You know, maybe something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Or is it number three? Assign him to get the black menaces to chill out. Well, if anybody can get him to chill out, it must be, you know, I think that they would respect him. I'm, I don't know anything about him, but I'm just going out on a limb mm -hmm. that maybe he can get them to kind of chill out a little bit. That's what well, I'm thinking. Nothing like violent raps mm -hmm. to uh, get you to chill out. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you can get him to tone it down just a little bit. Or is it number four? Hire him to run the church's social media accounts, especially TikTok. Yeah, yeah, he's going to take things in a whole new direction. If you know, if you look at his, <laughs> uh, sure. you know, he's got the, he's flipping people off. He's, you know, did the, you know, the church's media accounts could be taken in a whole different direction if he's at the helm. Uh, he's really going to, you know, appeal to that younger generation. Or how about number five? Schedule a fireside speaking tour so he can demonstrate gangster rapping to white jello belt geriatrics. Mm -hmm. He's going to fill the pews. <laughs> Absolutely, he, I, I, I've attended the, uh, the 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 church has a black gas uh, a black gospel choir. Uh, that mm -hmm. they do in Salt Lake, and I, I've attended that, and to see the, they always have a white member of, a, he's usually from the 70 or the general authorities or, or something like that, and to watch them sit there and mm -hmm. watch as they do black gospel music, they're very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I really appreciate that one. <laughs> yeah, I think he would do really well on a fireside speaking tour through, uh, you know, a Utah, mm -hmm. Idaho, Arizona, and really packing those pews, help those white geriatrics really get the feel of what gangster rapping is all about. I think that's, I think that that's going to be, you know, really take off. Or right, how about number six? Get him to author a gospel topics essay on white privilege. You know, like that's that one of those gospel. Yeah, that's one of those gospel topics essays that hasn't been tackled yet. Mm -hmm. He could be just the right person for that. Yeah. Or how about number seven? New ad campaign. My name is Young Boy. I'm a murder rapper. I'm a convicted felon, and I'm a Mormon. Ooh. <laughs> I guess we're a little late for that campaign, but oh. yeah, <laughs> but that's a couple we, years ago. Yeah, if we change it to, and I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, so that'll work. Yeah. <laughs> All of those are very the inspirational. <laughs> yeah. Which one of those do you think, uh, you know, should, how should, uh, Landon, let me ask you, you'll be the first person to take our poll. How should the church use rapper Young Boy's inspired LDS conversion to bring more souls into the kingdom? Which one of those uh, best uh, suits your uh, particular tendencies? Well, I, I like several of those, but I'm going to go with the last one uh, because it's a victory for Satan uh, that I'm a murder rapper, a convicted felon, and I'm a Mormon. Nice. <laughs> nice. Good choice. Now, we have some huge guests coming up onto this program. Next week, we have the Alternative Mormon and Rebecca Biblioteca. The week after, we have a commitment from the Midnight Mormons on February 19th. And we mm -hmm. also have White Cat Prophecy on February 26th. He runs a very interesting Twitter account. Landon, we want to thank you so much for coming on the Mormon News Roundup. Hey, I enjoyed it. It was really fun. I, I, I like what you're doing. I like uh, to, to listen uh, when I can. And it's 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 real fun to see, catch up with the news of the day, because yeah. like we say, we're, we're we're all Mormons, whether we're in or out of the church, uh, that background and that history that we grew up with. And it, it's fun to keep up on all of these all of these uh, items out there. So appreciate yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, we're certainly glad you came to join us this week, Landon, and we would love to have you again in the future. So, yeah, we'll keep in touch. All right. Um, I think so. Yeah, best of luck to you with uh, Mormonish and also the Good Book Club. Um, 
great things happening there. We've also got links to that, so uh, head over to see him there. Uh, also, at the end of this episode, we've got to give a, a nice warm shout-out to Weird Alma for this episode's intro and outro music. And thanks so much for ruminating with us on the great and spacious beehive. And remember, remember, no one hallowed hand can stop this podcast from progressing. When it comes to nicknames of the church, such as LDS Church, the Mormon Church, to remove the Lord's name from the Lord's Church is a major victory for Satan. 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 Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a being with no moral constraints. My number one goal is to hurt the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. 